and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And uh, it's been a while since we've had our full brains, I feel. Oh, it's still a while. <laughs> I feel like I still don't have mine. I don't know about you. Maybe you're like, I feel great. That's a parody, not a copyright thing. <laughs> but I'm all like, like a ship. Like a ship? Yeah. Like because they go mer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've been busy at work, but like, personally, I'm doing all right. That's good. One, one of us has to at, at the time. We can't both <laughs> be down in the dumps. My eyes are back. I am no longer getting random flashes every three seconds of light. Cool. cool. Um, so that's fun. I went for a walk today on purpose. That's great. I have the opposite uh, where I am seeing lights and it's because I've had a migraine for the last two and a half days. Oh no, I'm sorry. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes it feels like a rave in my eyes, but it's just my brain. Not the fun rave though. <sighs> Are raves fun? Thank you for joining us today on this podcast. <laughs> Are raves fun? <laughs> Fun. I think they're fun for some people because people go to them on purpose, right? People go to the dentist on purpose. It's not fun. <laughs> That's not true. I do love going to the dentist. You're so weird. I know. Anyway, do you have a clean language for us? We do have a clean language. So it's a four-parter. Oh, jeez. <laughs> First part, if you have a treadmill, don't keep it too close to your wall because treadmills have inclines and that can be a problem. Step two, if you invite a person to house it and you tell them, yeah, sure, use my treadmill. Let them know that there's a maximum incline they can go before they make holes in the wall. Step two, if you make a hole in somebody's wall because you decided to use the interval section of the treadmill functions and then didn't realize that if you went too high in incline, you were going to hit a wall and then it was going to go crunch. That's a fun noise for you guys who are listening to this as audio. Then you have to fix the wall. So what you do is you take the chunk of wall from the hole you just made and you bring it to Home Depot and you go, hey, color match this. And they color match it only for you to come back with the plaster, do all the plastering or whatever. Be good at it. And then you go, huh, this is weird. This is not the right wall color. And then you realize there's a color underneath the paint color you're currently looking at that does not match the paint color that's actually on the walls, even though it's very similar. So that happened. And then I had to take another piece of the wall and go color match that at Home Depot the next day. And then I painted the wall. So all this to say, Amy made a hole in a friend's wall with her treadmill and then she fixed it. And that's how you clean language. There's like a sort of a how-to in there, I guess. It's just, you know, if you're going to paint match, <laughs> use the actual color of the fucking wall. Helpful. Yeah. I have a plug. Like to put in the wall yeah to put in the wall that you cut a hole out of well i mean the plug of the the machine did make uh, the hole in the wall so it's a nice segue scoot, scoot. speaking of plugs that made holes in walls i have a plug good we were on another podcast this weekend not this weekend for you guys but this weekend for us and that podcast is nuzzle house our favorite podcast to talk about and make fun of. Yeah. By the way, Chantal, are you sure we're recording right now? <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> totally, it was going to be me. Oh, no. So for everyone except like the five people who were on that call, um, Glenn Nuzzles forgot to press record and we recorded like a third of an episode before we started recording that third of an episode again. But yeah, we were on The Cupid's Dilemma, which is a uh, 1970s style radio drama. And it was a lot of fun. It's my acting debut. It was your acting debut and you did so well. It, I know it was a big stretch for you. Yeah, I played myself. 
but it was a lot of fun and we'd like to do it again sometime so go listen to it i'm sure oh. now that you've made fun of him he'll definitely want us back on his podcast i mean if glenn and i's friendship is not just bickering what is it okay so that's that and this week we're talking about something that's not that yeah we're talking about the lady of shallot by Lord Alfred Tennyson. Are you familiar with this, Amy? Familiar? Yes. <laughs> Knowledgeable? No. <laughs> Let me school you. That's why we're here. I mean, I've probably gone to school and heard it at school beforehand, but do I remember any of it? Absolutely not. Why? Because I'm high as a kite. From migraine medicine, not from anything fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not fun. It's hard on my stomach. So Lord Alfred Tennyson was alive from 1809 to 1892. So during the Victorian era and others. His most known work is Ulysses, which I have not read. I have it right there. Oh, have you read it? No. Oh. It's there though. Okay. I can pull it up and we can live read it. It's going to be fun. Join us in 3.5 hours. That sounds like a fun time for people. But he was the poet laureate during Queen Victoria's reign. So he wrote a lot of poetry to a lot of lyrics. He was contemporaries with Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who wrote The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Oh, do we read that on here? I don't think we have. I think we've talked about reading it, but we haven't actually read it. But I would like to read it on here because it's a great poem. Yeah. Maybe next week. <laughs> Who knows? Not us. He also might have had a relationship with a man named Arthur Hallam. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Hallum? No. No. <laughs> I like halloumi cheese. This is beside the point. I'm fine. Can you spell it? H-A-L-L-A-M. Let me give you my best British accent. Hallam. <laughs> That, that was so British. British. That was the most <laughs> British thing I've ever heard. So he wrote, yeah, so he wrote a lot of lyrical poems, which this is, we're talking about the Lady of Shalott, um, which is a lyrical poem also. And his big themes that he liked to talk about the most were death and loss. So isn't that fun? He was just a fun little dude. My God, therapy's on Tuesdays and we're recording on a Thursday. This is going to be such a long week. You're going to have to hold off till then. He coined some fun little phrases. Oh, we love fun phrases. Such as... Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. That was our boy, Alfred. I mean, he's not wrong, is he? He's not wrong. That's fun. It's not as fun as my therapist picking up various catchphrases I give him and using them in his practice other places. But I love that. It's fun. I love that for you. Thanks. Uh, everyone does that, though. Everyone picks up little things you say. <laughs> It's, it's a common phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah. Amyisms are a thing. You like to coin a good phrase. It's because I'm weird. I say weird shit. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about the Lady of Shalott? Yeah, I got half an hour. <laughs> so, the Lady of Shalott is a lyric poem in four parts, which is about a woman living in Arthurian times and has some references to Arthurian legend. So, we got part one. We're introduced to the island of Shalott, which is um, visible along a road to Camelot. The Lady of Shalott is said to live in a tower there. She's like trapped in this gray tower and some people hear her singing in the morning. The only people who hear her actually are the reapers reaping the like wheat and stuff. Is that the reaper we should not fear from that blue oyster cult song? I guess. <laughs> the reapers are the ones fearing. See, I have a question. What's your question? Do you think blue oyster cult is about shrooms, trademark, or do you think it's about fish, not trademark? An oyster is neither a shroom nor a fish. Okay. Oh, it is a shroom. Oh, I get what you're saying. Like an oyster mushroom? Yeah. Uh, an oyster is a mollusk. Sure, but it lives in the sea. <laughs> like, I'm wondering, is this like a shrooms or like 
just not. Well, an oyster mushroom's not a hallucinogenic. No, but get, are they being like cutesy about it? Maybe. Because psilocybin oyster cult is not as fun. If you lived during the 60s to 80s, you can just tell anyone that any song is about drugs and they'll believe you. That's fair. Anyways, I had that thought and I wanted to share. Fun thought. So that's it. Then part two, we meet the Lady of Shalott, the legendary Lady of Shalott. She does sit in her tower. She's heard that she'll be cursed if she looks down to Camelot. So she focuses on her weaving all day and she just like weaves and she's got a mirror in front of her where she can see shadows of the world outside. So she looks at like the people going by in the mirror and she starts to get frustrated when there's stuff going on that is like big stuff like weddings and funerals. And then she's like, I tire of shadows. Part three, Lancelot, you know, the knight. Girl, Lancy. Sir Lancelot. Lancelot rides by and he is singing and the Lady of Shalott hears him singing and she's so taken with him that she puts down her weaving and she looks down to him and to Camelot and then her weaving unravels and the mirror cracks and she says the curse has come upon me. And then in part four, the Lady of Shalott comes down from her tower because I guess might as well now that the curse is upon her. I mean, if you're going to be cursed, you might as well like in for a penny and for a pound. Really? Yeah. Whatever British expression we have. So she finds a boat and she rides it down the stream to Camelot. She like lies down in the boat and sings her final goodbye song. Her swan song. Her swan song, if you will. The boat arrives in Camelot just as she's dying with her body inside. And all the people in Camelot come out to see and they're so scared and they like cross themselves. Um, she's also like written her name on the boat. So they're like, oh, who is this Lady of Shalat? But the only person who will approach and look upon her face closely is Lancelot. The person who accidentally killed her, and he's like, such a lovely face. <laughs> such a lovely place. <laughs> Fuck, I love that meme. He does actually, though. He says, she has a lovely face. God in his mercy lend her grace. Well, it's not as good as Hotel California, but I'll take it. We'll take it. Um, So I've got some analysis from critics and then I've got my personal reading. But first, what do you think? What do I remember? <laughs> sure. Nothing. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, okay, I always love a good Arthurian story, of course. Who doesn't? I've watched Merlin so many times. Whomst among us? Whomst would not. But that's that's all I got. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, so we've got the Arthurian stuff, which I feel like they just were doing a lot of throwbacks to that in this era. It was written in 1832 and they were all like nostalgic for the past and they were like, ooh, the classics. The classics are so cool. This was at the height of like the Industrial Revolution, right? Uh, yeah, probably. So, so yeah, that makes sense that they would be nostalgic at that time. They're like, look at all these innovations and it's all crap. Yeah, and like, you know, the fact that she can't look upon this like big city Ooh. where I'm guessing a lot of like hustle and bustle is happening and she's focusing on this womanly weaving thing. Ooh. Which is like, you know, she's looking at it through like a looking glass and like mirrors have things with like the past or whatever and also the future. So like I wonder if there's like some a longing for simpler life or whatever. I think there's something to that. And then she's amidst like the fields where it's like farm fields. Like if there's reapers there, she's in a more rural area than the city. The agrarian lifestyle. Hmm. 
I think there's something to that, Amy. And her, like her gray tower is like a smokestack. Oh, okay. This took me 40 seconds. Yeah, no, I like it though. I thought that you were going to jump on the four parts thing because anytime something is in four parts, you always compare it to Gulliver's Travels. I mean, can I? <laughs> <laughs> I could. I could do a quick, I could. could. There is a boat. Well, not just that, but the fact that like when she experiences looking at Camelot, the same way that when Gulliver experienced going to various places, he couldn't go back and like she can't see into her tower she's been cursed he was cursed with the knowledge of the other worlds and i mean there's something there i'm not gonna go too far into it because that would take a lot of time (laughs) but it's it could anything with four parts including twilight could there is a horse in both of them there's a horse there's adventure you know when lancy's there there's always adventure Mm -hmm. people are like scared of others like people are crossing themselves when they see her there's weird music there's people living in towers she's been in a strange place in the tower for so long that when she returns to civilization they are afraid of her and don't understand yeah but she's also dead that's probably also why there's definitely something there but that would be that would be an essay (laughs) a bad one like a bad essay probably but an essay for context it was written a hundred years after gulliver's travels was written yeah that's still contemporary i mean as contemporary as something written in the 1920s is for us yeah but i mean like gulliver's travels had like a pretty strong influence yeah i also feel like the meter reminds me a lot of the raven Mm. by edgar Allan poe well edgar Allan poe's raven reminds you of this meter i guess yeah but I'm more familiar with the Raven. I don't know when the Raven is from. 1905? Is it? No, that's too no, late. No, because he was a Confederate. Yeah, like that's too late. 1845. They're about... They're actual contemporaries. They're 13 years apart. Yeah, okay. Let me read you the first stanza of both of them. Okay. So the first stanza of the Lady of Shalott. On either side the river lie long fields of barley and of rye that clothe the world and meet the sky and through the fields the road runs by to many towered camelot the yellow-leaved water lily the green-sheathed daffodilly tremble in the water chilly round about shallot so that's a little raven-esque yeah once upon a midnight dreary while i pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore that one kind of loses it but you know it's the AA rhyme scheme it it sounds similar it's up there I wouldn't say there's like a comparative analysis but the meter and the rhyme scheme remind me vaguely of each other give me like an hour and I will find you a comparative (laughs) essay I'm sure you could I do believe that I believe that you could compare the Lady of Shalott to Lenore oh we really could (laughs) if we tried hard enough we could ah they both die and they're only remembered after they die yeah oh so there's that um (laughs) then there's the obvious reference which is to pluto's cave right but i don't really think there's anything to that but i think it's pretty impossible to talk about someone only seeing shadows of the world in a mirror and not talk about pluto's cave so um like the mirror thing it's historically accurate weavers actually did have a mirror in front of them where they could see the front side of their weaving so the weavers look at the back side of their weaving and then the mirror shows them the part that like people will see when they are done but hers like looks out the window she sees what's going on outside and she weaves images of what she sees so her art's like a a loose reflection of 
what's going on outside the window. Right. But she does kind of like really seem to have a grasp of what's going on down there. She's like, oh yeah, those are like the knights and that's like the priests and stuff. I think she has a pretty good grasp of like social structure. So it's not like she's always been there. She doesn't know anything else. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how long she's been there. Do we know why she's cursed? I don't remember. No, she's only heard that she's cursed. She doesn't even know why she's cursed or by whom. According to Tennyson, this was inspired by an Italian romance, but what I read said that there's also lots of overlap with Mont d'Arthur, which is another story that references Arthurian legend, and her story parallels the Maid of Astula. So, I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> there's inspirations about. That's not the analysis. I just wanted to cover kind of all the things that are obvious to point out. Yeah, fair. So there's that. And then there's like, what is, what's it about? Like, what's it about? What is <laughs> what the message is of this? What is it about? What is it? So a lot of literary critics believe it's about a conflict between art and life. Like she isolates herself in the tower. She creates her art. Like she sings and she weaves based on what she sees through the mirror out her window. And then when she sets her art down to really see the outside world, it unravels and she's doomed. So to go back to my point of like the Industrial Revolution or whatever, mm -hmm. wouldn't you imagine that somebody whose livelihood is based on creating art being surrounded by a world where artistry is being taken over by machines. This is actually a commentary on like the AI artist thing. Yeah, 100%. We are all living. Just like way ahead of its time. We're just all the Lady of Shalott. Um, no, but like even like weavers, like the process was becoming more and more mechanized. That's true. As time went on. There's definitely a good nostalgia reading that you could do. Yeah. And if going back to like the artist being removed from life thing, there's also like the disconnect between her and the other people in the poem. Like there's the reapers who are literally like toiling in the field while she's in her tower, like literally in an ivory tower creating art and they're toiling in the field. And they're the only ones who actually hear her. And then Lancelot is the first person she really looks at and the only one in Camelot who will look closely at her face and he's like a soldier so all the people who will interact most closely with her are like people of the world mm -hmm. like people who are very staunchly like men of the earth you know and she's like yeah. a woman of the sky and and then everyone else who's kind of in the middle is just like oh she's so far above us we're not even gonna like look at her she's just like a legend to them yeah huh okay and then there's also the thing of like the love and death imagery so there's a lot of links between between love and death like the two things that make her tired of just looking at the shadows are weddings and funerals like she equates those two things together mm. then it's like her interest in Lancelot and I don't know if it's romantic but a lot of people read it as that that makes her like look down at Camelot and that's why she dies so right. if you're reading it as romance then it's love that makes her die I guess I guess <laughs> I disagree with this reading I have my own reading but first i want to tell you some other um okay. like reading options so there's like tidbits of information tidbits of information um there's a lot of color imagery that you can read into that's broken up in like before and after she's cursed so before she's cursed the poem describes a lot of bright colors um like the sky is clear there's really vivid descriptions of lancelot's rich clothing he's wearing like every color on his clothes and the lady of shallot is stuck inside just this gray tower but then after she gets cursed, she comes down and she kind of brings the grayness with her. She brings like the dimness and the dreariness and the 
death of the curse into the outside world. So the sky gets heavy, it starts to rain. Ah, pathetic fallacy. Yes, the woods are like pale yellow, her eyes darken as she dies. Yeah, it's just pathetic fallacy. (laughs) And then there's also like the Lancelot thing where does he care that much? Some people read it as he doesn't care that much. He's like such a lovely face and then he like moves on with his life. But she like gave up her life to look at him, you know? So there's two parts of this. One, men trash. Or (laughs) he was doing like his chivalric duty of like looking at her. Yeah. He's just so brave that of course he would look at a dead person. He has to because he's a good guy trademark. It's also kind of par for the course with Lancelot if that is what he's doing because he's like notoriously he's such a fuck boy he is he's the one who hooks up with guinevere and like causes the fall of arthur right yeah pretty much so he like reduces her to her beauty like she once created beauty with her art but yeah. now she's just been reduced to like a pretty face okay uh, yeah. let me tell you my reading <laughs> sorry i still have hotel california stuck in my head okay <laughs> so i haven't read Ulysses also but and I know you haven't so we no. can't really speak to like the messaging in I mean we can do Tennyson's. whatever the fuck we want we're unreliable I mean we can yeah it's our podcast and screw everyone else <laughs> not actually we love you guys thank you for listening so but like I can't speak to Tennyson's other works or messages or yeah. anything but if we want to imagine the author's not dead and draw parallels to like Tennyson's situation yeah like he was the poet laureate so Mm -hmm. he was a creator of art in a high pressure position so maybe he felt like there was a disconnect between him and like the common people and like he was sitting in an ivory tower writing his art you know and it was a reflection of the world but a twisted one because he wasn't able to live in it yes because he was in this ivory tower and he was controlled by the state and all he wanted to do was do his own shit and then when he tried to do that maybe he was punished for it I don't know what his career looked like, actually. Exactly. No, but exactly. But then also, like, you know, I love a queer reading. We do. We haven't done a proper queer reading in a while. Sorry. If Tennyson was gay, that was literally illegal. So he could have felt that admitting his affections, like looking down upon his Lancelot, would have been the end of his life as he knew it. Mm, Damn, that slaps. Not in a fun way, but, you know. (laughs) In an interesting way. In an intellectual way. Huh. Yeah. That's my personal reading of it. And we really shy away from author, like, parallels. But I feel like this one's a good one for it. But also, like... As a Victorian, it's so, like, the Victorians were both, like, super fucking repressed and also fucking weird at the same time. They were. A bit like another subsect of current modern times that we're not going to talk about because I don't want to be canceled. (laughs) (laughs) I'm leaving that in. We can cut that out. (laughs) But, like, yeah, I mean, they have all this, like, artistry to them, you know, like, the Victorians are known for their artistry and their, like, bohaha, if you will, of things but they're also super fucking repressed and they also did have a lot of disconnect between like the lower class was like very lower class like the people who were living on the streets with rats and disease and just horrible starvation Mm -hmm. and then the people in probably like Tennyson circle and like the queen were just in lavish ornament pretending none of that existed yeah they could escape to the countryside with the smog they didn't have to fucking stay in London for it I think it's telling that Tennyson who was an artist who probably had a lot of privilege in his life is like this lady is cursed and her her whole curse is just like she works from home goals 
<laughs> Can someone curse me to work from home, please? <laughs> it's like the introvert's dream. Except she's life. not happy with it, you know? No. Which is like, I can't relate. Um, <laughs> Does it feel weird to you that we're like the second Elizabethan generation? Like, you know how we talk about the Victorians? Like, we're Elizabethan too? I guess, yeah. I think that's cool. I, I don't think people really go by that anymore because the royal family doesn't have a lot of sway on our personal lives. Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to call myself, you know, a Chuck E. Cheeser, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese 3. Yeah. 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 We're TikTok era. We're, uh, we're the millennials. So embarrassing. Everyone's <laughs> embarrassed by millennials. Oh, they're still embarrassed by millennials. They're like, oh my God, I love Gen Z. And we're like, we walked so they could dance. We had to wait several seconds until our camera kicked in so they could make fun of us for it. We had Vine so they could have TikTok. <laughs> Do it for the Vine. And yeah, I think that's enough for us today. Do it for the Vine. Do it for the Vine. I miss Vine. Uh, on a scale of... Um, lovely face, a lovely place. <laughs> yeah, on a scale of a lovely face to a lovely place. What would you rate this poem? Nobody else knows this, but it's fine. Remember when I went for my walk on Monday and I sent you a, <laughs> a six-second <laughs> video of a face I saw on the sidewalk and I just went, such a lovely face. Can I tweet this so that people know what you're talking about? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. That, you know, like it's gray, it's concrete, but it's still a lovely face in a lovely place. <laughs> what was it? Just like drops of water on the sidewalk that looked like a face i think it was like water salt okay just looked like a face i mm. thought it was cute i made a friend i also saw a very small wiener dog who th then i told was very small i was like oh my god you're so small and then it jumped on me and i was like oh my gosh you're so tall and then its owner was like i'm so sorry and i was like this is the best thing that's happened to me all day <laughs> so go listen to our podcast with nuzzle house because uh i reenacted the end of that story ish yep yeah that's true chantelle Mm. On a scale of Don't Fear the Reaper to Hotel California, what would you rate this? Mm. I would rate it Paint It Black. You know the song that's like, I see a red door and I want it painted black. Yes, I'm trying to figure out who that's from. I think it's that because it's about creating art, but it's so dreary and like her life is so dreary that she's just trying her best to like recreate the shadows of the outside world that she sees, but there's no way she could possibly like replicate the vibrance so it's probably just like a paint it black situation with all her weavings where she's just like, I don't know, there's like a shadow of a horse, I guess. It's by the Rolling Stones. By the Rolling Stones. I definitely knew that. And uh, we will edit that in that I knew that right away. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's a fine poem. I don't love it. It's not my favorite, but it's content. It's free content. <laughs> It's very open-ended, so there's a lot of analysis that you can just BS your way through. If you're an English major, you know that BSing is the spice of life. I mean, I made up four separate independent readings of it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in 40 seconds. Yeah, you did. Which is a skill that AI cannot have. It's maybe a record. Actually, that's a great segue to see if that works. Chat. GPT. What are you doing? Well, I was going to try to see if I could make ChatGPT do me a reading of Lady of Shalott and Gulliver's Travels. Oh my god, that would be so good. I want to see if they are actually smarter than we think they are. Are you smarter than an English major? Oh, I hate this. <laughs> oh no. Tell it to me. Oh, okay, y'all. 
Hit us with it. Is ChatGPT smarter than I am? Let's see. <laughs> the Lady of Shalott by Alfred Lord Tennyson and Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift are two classic works of literature that share some similarities in their themes and motif despite being written in different genres and styles. One of the common themes in both the works is the idea of confinement and escape. In The Lady of Shalott, the protagonist is a woman who is trapped in a tower and cannot leave, but instead sees the world only through a mirror. She longs to break free and experience the world directly, but ultimately parries the price for her escape. Similarly, in Gulliver's Travels, the protagonist of the man who's shipwrecked in various islands and find himself confined by different cultures and society. He seeks oh. to escape these constraints and return home, but his experience leave him disillusioned and questioning the nature of his humanity. Another of the common team is the conflict between imagination and reality. The Lady of Shalott creates a world of her own thoughts and her tapestry weaving, which allows her to imagine a life beyond her confinement. However, when she tries to make this fantasy a reality, she is destroyed. In Gulliver's Travels, Gulliver's imagination is challenged by the reality of societies he encounters. His experience forces him to question the validity of his preconception and challenge his own beliefs. In terms of style and structure, the two works differ greatly. I would say they don't. Lady I would Shalott say they is... do. One of them is a novel and one of them is a lyric poem. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The Lady of Shalott is a poem that tells a linear story with a clear protagonist and a tragic ending. Gulliver's Travel, on the other hand, is a novel that is structured in a series of travel narratives with Gulliver encountering different cultures and societies on each visit. Swift's novel is also more satirical and political in nature, while Tennyson's poem is more focused on romantic themes. However, I would disagree that it's not focused on romantic themes and is actually quite political in nature when it comes to the Industrial Revolution. That's my sidebar. I mean... Despite these differences, both works are united by their exploration of human nature and human condition. They both show the consequences of confinement and the limitation of human understanding. Both works also use the trope of the journey to explore these themes and allow the reader to experience the protagonist's journey, journey of self-discovery. In conclusion, The Lady of Shalott and Gulliver's Travels are two classic words of literature that explore similar themes despite their differences. Both works offer profound insight to the human condition and continue to resonate with readers today. I'm kind of mad because we put so much effort into writing essays and now if you go into an English program you can just ask chat GPT and have it spit out stuff and then just go find like quotes to support that stuff that it spit out if you want. Yeah I'm like really mad about it. That makes me upset and I wish that you had not brought that to me. Like the fact that <laughs> it ugh. I'm mad. I'm, I'm also mad. I'm like, I'm, no, I'm upset. I'm upset. And that's where we're leaving off. We're leaving off with me upset and Amy also upset. We're upsetting our spaghetti, guys. <laughs> I did not pay the amount of money I paid for my degree for this to happen to me. I can't believe this. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast hosted by ChatGPT. If you would like to find us and also complain about AI essay writers, you can find us at UnsightedPod on on Twitter and Instagram. We also have merch on Redbubble. If you look up Unsighted Podcasts, you can find like shirts and notebooks and fun stuff like that and wear them around and then tell all your friends. I think that's it for us. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you in two weeks. And as always, we're excited unavailable. Welcome back to Unsighted, an English lit podcast that is super unreliable. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I get to do the intro.